Welcome to Fragments of Blue. Join Grace and Laura each week as they discuss the power of Scripture to guide us through life's complexity into a greater love of God. I'm Laura. And I'm Grace. And today's episode, we'll be talking about undressing the gospel. Yes. <laughs> Laura's not sold on this title. <laughs> I'm not sold. But it is... I think it is apt because um, we're talking today about like all of the things that Christians, I think, tend to do to add to the gospel or to dress it up in a self-conscious kind of way as if the gospel itself somehow isn't enough, mm-hmm. isn't appealing enough, which I mean, often it is not. But mm-hmm. either way, there seems to be this um, frantic strategizing and self-consciousness that so many Christians, including myself, really have about the gospel. And I, I don't mean necessarily just the presentation of the gospel message to unbelievers, even about just the true things in God's word, even to other believers, mm-hmm. we seem to be fearful. And so what is this? What, what is this? Why? Why? How much of this is right? How much of this is just showing a love for other people and the way we speak to them, you know, not being brutal, not being mm-hmm. harsh? Like, where does our culture fall on this? And where are likely our own weaknesses? And how can we address those? And I've been thinking about this for quite some time. And it's um, partly because I, I think I really struggle like really struggle with feeling very self-conscious and careful and cautious anytime I talk to anyone, believers or unbelievers, about something in the Bible and just really trying to win them with my words. This is very strange to me because I grew up being like unabashed about the gospel. I came home in grade three one day and proudly told my mom, I shared the gospel to everyone in my class today. And it was like, this is what I want to do. I want to go to China and be a missionary because I hear Christians die there. Like, that's what I wanted to do. So I was someone who was like really outspoken about my faith. I mean, along with that kind of, I guess, strength came the weakness of being too abrasive, maybe not considering one's audience mm-hmm. and being loving. But there, but, but I mean, I was young, mm-hmm. I was immature. And so that's, that's okay. There's room to grow there without snuffing out that along with it. Mm-hmm. But I had an experience, um, I was either in grade eight or nine in youth group. And this was at youth group, you know, where mm-hmm. the whole point is to like show people, young people, who God is. Mm -hmm. And that week we had some new people, some like two, two new girls come. And the topic for the day was, I don't remember exactly, I think it was the gospel. In any case, what my youth leader at the time was kind of trying to explain what the gospel was. These girls were asking questions like, what, like, how does this work? Mm -hmm. Like, why did he, Jesus have to die? And I felt like, I felt like my youth leader was prevaricating and being a little bit vague. So I decided to step in. So I stopped. I was like, and I basically laid it out. I wasn't nasty. These girls were asking. I just said, hey, this is the deal. We have sinned against God. We are at odds with him. He is a holy God. And this is why Jesus died. Like, I just laid out the gospel. And, you know, they were pretty timid and just kind of like, oh, okay. And they didn't come. The next week, that was the first time they'd come. They didn't come the week after that. And the funny thing was, is after I had done that presentation, my youth leader was like, 
super excited. Mm. She wasn't bothered. She was like, wow, preach it, sister. Like she was, <laughs> she was like pumped up that I had preached the gospel. Yeah. And a few weeks later, my mom and my dad got a call from a youth pastor and he set up a meeting with me and my parents and we went into his office and he was very kind, but he basically told me, look, Laura, we love that you were preaching the gospel, but those girls didn't come back. Laura, we want them back. We, yeah. yeah so was, like basically, and I felt, I felt terrible. Like I wasn't angry. I felt terrible. Mm-hmm. I was like, I am so sorry. Like, obviously mm-hmm. I want people to come to know Jesus. And I'm really sorry if my uh, bluntness or boldness or whatever stopped them from wanting to hear. Mm-hmm. And, and my parents, they, they didn't undermine the youth pastor at all. They were, they said like, obviously we want people to preach with boldness and we're really, but, but yeah, I guess Laura has things to learn about this. Mm-hmm. And looking back now, I'm like, what a mistake. Mm-hmm. What a mistake for that youth pastor to make yeah. for a young person in a society where we're so timid as it is. I wasn't rude. I wasn't nasty. I wasn't even forceful. People had come to the church and were asking questions. And I had told them the gospel in response. And if not, then when? (laughs) When? Anyway, so after that experience, I just uh, noticeably became, and over the years, I've just become so much more strategic, so much more like cautious, couching all of my statements about faith qualifying everything endlessly. Religion doesn't mean this, it's this. I think we said this in another, it's not religion, it's relationship or, well, when we talk about God being holy, we have to understand this and endlessly. And it's, it is exhausting. Mm -hmm. And the last little while I've been listening to some speakers and talking to other Christians and basically coming to the conclusion that this idea of speaking in love does not include as much cautiousness as we think. Well, I think there's speaking in love, but there's also speaking in truth. Speaking the truth in love is what it says. You know, do it with gentleness and respect. Yes. But to not tell people the truth of God's word does not do them favors. No. And, you know, I don't remember if we ended up bringing this up in a podcast before or not. I know I've told you about this story, but one of my big regrets um, in conversation with someone about Jesus, I was first speaking at a maximum security prison. And after the talk, I had just kind of met some people later, some of the prisoners that were there. We had some coffee and biscuits with them. And in talking to one of them, he asked, so you're religious then? And I went into that whole speech about like, oh, you know, well, it depends what you mean by religion. And, you know, I, I would say I have a relationship with God. And I just went on and on and on. And he listened really nicely and everything to me. But I really felt at the end, like I just blew it. Like I just confused him. And I could have just said, yeah, this is what it means to me. This is how it changed my life. This is how God has done something in me. But instead, I just confused him with what really is Christianese and mumbo jumbo, the way we think we need to speak to non-Christians about who God is. Yeah. It wasn't. Like it was... Yeah, it's a big regret for me. Yeah. And it's it's a bit weird because like when you read about Jesus in in the gospels, mm-hmm. I I know that some people talk about Jesus in the gospels as opposed to the God of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. which is interesting, <laughs> but 
I kind of wonder how much of the Gospels they're reading. But when Jesus is dealing with crowds, he is almost brutal. Yeah. Well, well, actually, frankly, at some points he is, like, without a he doubt, is. brutal. Yeah. And I think there is this, we need to kind of rediscover the fact that we are not the ones that save. Like, we present mm-hmm. the gospel and the Holy Spirit is doing miracles. Yeah. And no one is saved without that, without that miracle in their heart. No matter how persuasive you are, which doesn't mean you should maybe avoid being persuasive, but the kind of begging and pandering mm-hmm. that brings people in, how many of those people are coming in that aren't really in? Because yeah. there's an attraction there that is not Christ, that right. is not the gospel. <laughs> Although we think it is. Like, I think yeah. that we're attracting them to Christ, but we're like, oh, he doesn't require this or this or this. Like, I do know, and I think I talked about this before as well, briefly, um, times where it was like, you know, God will take you just as you are. You know, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to stop drinking. You don't have to stop smoking to come to Christ, which is true. But it also implies you don't have to stop anything that your worldly self indulged in when you start to follow Jesus. And actually you do. There are things that we have to give up in order to follow Jesus. There's lots of things. In fact, some of them even seem good. And we have to give them up in order to follow Jesus. And it doesn't do anyone any good to think that they're coming to Christ. They're actually coming to a caricature that you've drawn of him instead of the truth of who he is. Yeah, and I think that was the thing, that, that, that is the thing that I'm kind of feeling more and more now as I've grown older and I've seen people who I'm like, they've come to church with me my whole mm-hmm. lives. I've known them. They've been my friends they think they're Christians and, and maybe they are. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make like that final say, but I'm like, yeah. I, I'm beginning to feel like the church in its cautiousness, in all of its um, over-cautiousness, is sending droves of people to hell who think they're Christians. And we know that this happens. Like we know mm-hmm. people die thinking they are saved, mm-hmm. right? That's why you have that that time where Jesus is like telling the people, no, I never knew you. And, and I think Jesus seemed to be really intent on distinguishing b- between those who were his and those who weren't. Mm-hmm. And um, I was uh, watching a Francis Chan sermon where he was talking about how he was really feeling convicted about the way he was speaking, how he was couching a lot of things that he was saying carefully. There were certain things he didn't like to speak about. He loved a crowd, things like this. And he and he decided that he was going to go through the Gospels and study how Jesus responded when there was a crowd in front of him. And it's pretty hilarious. Like it is, it is absolutely hilarious because Jesus does not pull any punches. And I think on the surface, the response is that's not loving. I think what's not loving is leaving these people thinking they're saved when they're not. Yeah. Like that is the worst you, thing you can do. Like you are, you are in the lat, like you are the least likely person to seek for help when you think you've been healed. Mm-hmm. And I think the way we talk to people about salvation or what it looks like to live the Christian life is fooling people a lot. So for example, uh, in Luke eight, there's the crowd and, and Jesus tells the parable of the sower and Francis Chan made the comment like, Hey, well, we know what this is all about. You know, we've all heard this so many times, the parable of the seed, the sower, the soil or whatever. 
But for people who had gone, walked miles, they'd never heard this and they didn't hear the explanation after. So Jesus like talks for about two minutes, telling this quick thing about this type of soil and this type of soil and this type of soil. And then he ends with, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that's it. <laughs> and Francis Chan, I thought it was hilarious. Francis Chan basically said, he walks off saying, if you get it, you get it. And how ripped off people that walked for miles would feel, especially if they're like, hey, you guys, there's this amazing rabbi. Come, come listen to him. And then they show up and it's like two minutes and that's it. And, and just takes off. <laughs> yeah, yeah takes he has ears to hear. And yeah. you're like, what? Excuse me? Yeah. Yeah. Like, so... so so unnecessarily brutal. Yeah. And the disciples come up to him after and they're like, what did that mean? Like, what? What was that? And then Jesus tells them to you, for you, truth has been revealed. So you will come to me mm-hmm. and want to find out what's going on. I speak in parables so that they will not understand. And that is crazy. Like, I think we kind of need to sit in that for a bit because you're like, what? And it made me think of the passage in, oh, is it John John 10, where Jesus is talking about he, how he is the good shepherd. Mm-hmm. And he says, my sheep know my voice. And I think this is the thing. When the Holy Spirit is working in someone's life and is going to work a miracle in them, they will hear. Mm-hmm. They will hear. And this is my own experience, even with Christians, when a Christian, like even like Christians can obviously be in moments of rebellion against God. Mm-hmm. And when a Christian is submitted, even when you're harsh with them with a reproof, because they love God, because there's a, an attitude of submission, they will hear you, even if delivery isn't perfect, mm-hmm. because a miracle is being done in their heart. And yeah. so they submit. And there's humility enough yeah. to hear it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, man, like the the stories I know of people who have been saved, some of them, they're like, oh, I was at Alpha. And you're like, really? Alpha? That doesn't seem like super, I don't know. It's just so... (laughs) Cliche. Yeah. So ordinary. (laughs) You know what I mean? So It's so ordinary. Or my mom, she was just having conversations with my dad. And my dad is like so abrasive about stuff like that. (laughs) And you think it happens... Because of a miracle by the grace of God, which, and I'm not trying to at all discount the part of humans in God's divine plan to save people. I think he uses us and I think he commands us to speak. But I'm just beginning to lose any kind of sense that all of the trimmings Mm -hmm. is doing any good and really beginning to believe (laughs) it's doing a great deal of harm. It's funny when you mention some of the the times that Jesus spoke to crowds, I definitely always think of the rich young ruler and how he spoke to him and how off-putting that is. If we had a pastor talk to a new person in the church who's coming and you don't quite know where they stand, but they're asking the same question and they're like, give up everything. You have to give up everything. Otherwise that's it. Like you won't have eternal life. We'd be like, ah, just wait a second here. Like eternal life is from Christ. It's, you know, like we would go into this whole explanation and at the same time, I think we we just don't do what Jesus did. He, But we notice he's harsh, I think, with often the religious. <laughs> so with the rich and ruler, he was religious. You can tell from his responses, oh, yeah, I've kept the law. And so he cuts through all his religiosity and he gets to his, his personal, okay, but what would you sacrifice to follow me? What would you give up? If it meant giving up the life that you know, would you do it? 
because it does. Yeah. <laughs> it really does. The, the life you know has to be crucified with Christ. And it doesn't matter if you've got lots or little, the life that you had must be crucified with Christ in order to follow Jesus. Yeah. And you can see that contrast because when when people come to him with humility, you mm-hmm. think about, you know, the woman who comes to him and washes his feet with her hair yeah. and she is weeping. Yeah. You're like, oh, Jesus is so tender. Yeah. So there is truth in the feeling of like, no, wait, where's that love? Where is that compassion? You know, Jesus yeah. looks at the crowd and has compassion. Um, and I think when Jesus encounters hearts that are humble and willing to give mm-hmm. it all, because that that is the attitude mm-hmm. of the woman who comes and washes his feet is, yeah. I will give it all. Then he is prepared to say, come as you are, I will transform yeah. you because you have laid it all at my feet. But I think when we start off with the offering being, it does, look, it's it's not quite as hard as you think, or it's not going to be quite so much as you think, or all of that kind of thing. That's, that that is just not how Jesus kind of starts it off. Another passage in Luke, I'll turn to this one just because it's so crazy. It's after the parable of the sower, Luke 8. So he had the crowd last time, which didn't go well. And this time he has the crowd again. And it says here, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So he's got a huge crowd. He turns Mm -hmm. to them, and this is what he decides to say. (laughs) And you kind of think, Listen, you can get the same point across, but you don't have to use such harsh language. Yeah. Can't like cuz of course whenever this is preached, <laughs> what we say is, now this sounds really awful, but this but. is what Jesus means. Yeah. Which is true. I mean, I think there's room for teaching, but this is a crazy thing. Jesus didn't. He mm-hmm. didn't explain. He didn't say, "Now what I mean by that is that compared to your family, you should just love me so much more." You're like, he just kind of left it there. And then he goes on and he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, keep in mind, we here bear your own cross and we think of it Mm post-crucifixion. So we think, oh, this is what Jesus is talking about. But to the Jews at the time, that was a horrible thing to say. Mm -hmm. It was associated with the curse of being hung on a tree. And there was no context of his crucifixion at this point. So he's just like, why is he using such brutal, horrific language like it just seems nonsensical (laughs) and then he goes on and talks about foolish people who decide to start on ventures without counting the cost that's building a tower Mm -hmm. or going to war and it's interesting how most of us are not really prepared to present people with the cost and that's really weird to me Mm -hmm. because the payback that we're offering is infinitely greater yeah So I don't feel like we should be so freaked out about presenting the cost. Mm -hmm. It's so necessary. Yeah. I still keep coming back to that. I to the rich young ruler, but also the other one. When he's talking to the crowds again, he's always like off-putting these crowds. Honestly, like if preachers had crowds walk away like Jesus did, we'd be like, oh, they're not so good. But he did. And he was the best. (laughs) But when he was talking to them about, if you're going to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And this is prior to yeah, this is John the first six. communion, right? Yeah. Yeah, John yeah. 6. You're going to have to do this. And they're like, ooh, no. <laughs> That's what we have to do. Like, that sounds cannibalistic. They don't, they don't ask for an explanation. They're just, 
okay, we're gone then. Like, this is too weird and freaky. And they, they even leave. say, even some of his disciples say, this is a hard teaching. Who yeah. can accept this? Yeah. And yet they say, but you have the very words of eternal life. Like, yeah. they know that he has the answers. And even if they don't understand them, they trust that he is telling the truth and that they need it. Yes. And I think that is the response of a heart yeah. that God is working in. Mm-hmm. So Peter says, where else will we go? Yeah. yeah and you're like, yeah. Where else do you want to go? And I think for some people, they can answer that question. Where else do you want to go? Oh, well, I would like my career. Or I would like to marry this person. Mm -hmm. So that's where I would rather go. And Peter's saying like, no, there's nowhere else I will go. And I have to say, like, specifically when it comes to marrying other people or being in a relationship with someone that you know is not right for you. Because I've been working with youth for so long. And I've seen that that's just such a draw that has pulled so many of our youth away from Christ is pursuing relationships with someone who doesn't know God, doesn't love God. And they think, oh, but you know, they'll come to church with me. And and it lasts for a couple of months, maybe, maybe longer. But they make so many compromises. There's so much, I don't want to say backsliding, but definitely a falling away from the love of Christ that they had in them prior to that relationship. And I've seen some go on to marry that person later divorce that person. (laughs) But just, I've seen so many whose relationship with God that was going in what seemed like a really good direction completely fall apart because of a romantic relationship. Yeah. I I think it's telling that Jesus says when he talks about the things you need to hate, he mentions a bunch of the deepest relationships. Yeah. I mean, they're the hardest thing, right? Like obviously people hold our highest affections. Most of us don't Mm -hmm. actually love money more than people, you know, like, I mean, there, there's definitely some of us who like struggle with that. I struggle with love of money, (laughs) Um, but I think it is telling, like maybe we need to be telling more people. Mm -hmm. No, you have to hate your boyfriend Mm -hmm. compared to Jesus. Yeah. So stop, (laughs) you know, like, or you are not his disciple. Yeah. That is what Jesus says. Mm-hmm. Like, am I saying that? No, but Jesus is. Yeah. Like, like it is that black and white. Yeah. So the thing, I, and I think this is a challenge because there obviously are areas in scripture where it talks about speaking the truth in love. Mm-hmm. And the part where, like, as I was thinking about this, the, the passage that kind of got me a little confused about like, okay, like, Where is the balance here? Where is the place for being a gifted speaker, for being using good argumentation? Like, where is the role then for human talent and gifting in this or in just being appealing to other people? Like I was having a conversation with a friend this past week and he was like, I've like, I know my friend would never go and just hear a sermon, but like, I've been walking with this guy for years and you think like, come on, just preach the gospel and let the guy go. (laughs) You know what I mean? And he's like, no, like this, like sometimes it really does take a long time. And I think that's where things get tricky. Like, and Paul says, I think it's first Corinthians nine. There's this passage where he says, Oh yeah. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews to those under the law. I became as one under the law that I might win those under the law to those outside the law. I became as one outside the law to the weak. I became weak that I might win the weak. 
I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. And then I'm left kind of feeling like, what? what? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, like Jesus does not seem to become all things to all people. And frankly, a lot of the time when I'm reading Paul and he reading in Acts, he doesn't seem to like, he certainly doesn't make everyone happy. He gets stoned a few times, you know, and I think, I think this is the kind of attitude that our culture takes on and fully lives in the idea of bringing thing, bringing the gospel to people where they're at. Mm -hmm. And somehow there's something that's true there and something that's good that shows an affection and an understanding for people and their weaknesses. And yet when I look at um, the whole scripture, when I think of all that Paul does in his ministry, I don't see it in any way compromising his message. Like he's not mm-hmm. looking gentle and... Um, yeah. So yeah. I think, I don't think it's about him necessarily changing. He doesn't change the gospel. The gospel stays the same. I think he probably does change how he looked, like what he wore to certain places and, you know, where he hung out, those kind of things. And Jesus did that too. Like we see him hanging out with some very wealthy people and also some very impoverished people. We see him like going to fancy wedding feasts and also going to a well and talking to a woman who's nobody else will talk to. You know, he goes to where they're at and he meets them where they are. He goes to the temple and throws them out. (laughs) And the religious, like he's super hard on the religious, let's be honest. He's really hard on the religious and he's really gentle with others. The people that are looked on as the sinners, those are the ones he's really gentle with. And he goes to with gentleness and he's still very truthful with them. He still says, okay, go and sin no more. This is, this is what I know about you, but I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. He lays it all out, but he does it with such love that he's like, yeah, I know exactly who you are and I love you. Come to me. <laughs> I'm going to fix these things in you that aren't right, but you can't keep on in the life that you're in. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't leave them there. And I think like in order to reach people living in a garbage dump, it won't it won't do you any favors to wear patent leather shoes and your best suit. How will you reach them? They they won't believe that you know who they are and mm-hmm. their struggles. Yeah. But in the same way, you won't reach necessarily someone working on Wall Street if you show up looking like a hobo. Right? So I think in that way he was all things to all people. <laughs> but I don't think it was the gospel didn't change. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He might have spoken even in their mother tongue, but the gospel didn't change. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is the tricky thing where we see in scripture that Jesus is willing to go to different places that he, I guess to some extent, we don't really know how outwardly he accommodates Mm -hmm. to these different contexts. We know that Paul was prepared to have Timothy um, circumcised, circumcised so that when he goes to the Jews, he's not an offense to them. You're like, oh, that's a, that's a big thing to have to go through so that you can reach people with the gospel. So there's, he's willing to do some things to like some outward things. So obviously there is to some extent a place for accommodating for the weakness of people. Mm -hmm. And yet generally I'm seeing that there's a faith in the beauty of the gospel itself to draw people. Yeah. And I kind of wonder whether Christians think the gospel is beautiful or whether 
it is what has the power to save. Right. Is it the truth? Yeah. 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 Because I know <laughs> it kind of bothers me when when you hear people going and sharing the gospel in another place, in another culture, and, and they kind of like, oh, you know, yeah, you could, okay, let's call God this instead. Like if that's how you're comfortable, but their definition of who God is, is not the same. And it gets very confusing for those people. I don't think that that's actually helpful, to be honest. Like, <laughs> we talked about this, but calling Jesus Buddha is not going to be helpful to people. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You can just, like, he kind of represents the same. No, he doesn't. That's not yeah. true. Yeah. You know, um, to say that Jesus was just a prophet. Yes. Okay, great. He's, yeah, he was a prophet, but he was so much more. So don't, don't let them hang out in that kind of idea. Yeah. That yes, okay, this other religion saying this about him and okay, good enough. You yeah. know? You're robbing the gospel right. of its power. And so to to say, yeah, yeah, okay, let's let's believe this. You can call him just a prophet or a good teacher, or yeah, you can call him the son of God, but it also so was the devil. Like it, the, no, you have to clarify yeah. <laughs> what you really mean in those circumstances and not pussyfoot around it and pretend it's all fine. You believe this. We're kind of all going to the same place. That's not true. And it's not helpful. And I think most Christians believe that. But yeah. there's some yeah. that I've heard that still try and, you know, or actually some that have been really famous and then have said that. Yeah. That And it just, yeah, it breaks my heart. Yeah, I think, I think you and I both agree that Paul and Jesus never compromise on the content of their message. Their content ever remains the same, which is Jesus, like salvation is found in Jesus. I am the bread of life. Like there is no no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. Like that is it. So my question is, does this go any further? Because to me, being someone who's in music, medium is so much a part of the message and demonstrate so much of what how we feel about the message. Mm-hmm. So even though I am um, obvious, like it's kind of like a given to me. Obviously, we can't change the gospel. We're not going to do that. That's not helpful. But what about just the way we present it? Does this not say something about what we feel about it either? Yeah. Like, so this is where to me it gets a little bit muddier because you do see Paul doing things to accommodate, to help with people's weaknesses, to you know, if something's in the way of them coming to the gospel, I want to get rid of it. Yeah. I don't want that to be there for them. But at the, but Jesus doesn't seem to do that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. dude, like Jesus doesn't really care if your money is really important to you right now. He's not saying like, become a Christian now and I'll work on your heart in a little while. You'll love me more. Yeah. Like, no, like yeah. right now, leave it or no, you're out. Yeah. And so, and I... I, I kind of feel like all these games churches play with presentations and and I'm a believer in excellence <laughs> and art. I really, really am. And yet, oddly enough, anytime I go to a church where everything seems so polished, yeah, I'm always like, what is the draw here for people? Mm. You know, I remember when I was about 12 or 13, there was a Billy Graham crusade on TV and I was watching it with my mom and... I listened to his sermon and I was like, that's it? Like, he's just said really basic stuff. And he quoted John 3.16 and thousands of people are getting up out of their chairs. What's going on? <laughs> this makes no sense. I, I don't understand. 
he's not such a great speaker. He's not such a great preacher. Yeah. Um, but he made it really simple, really clear, and just offered it. And he allowed for the Holy Spirit to do work. And I think we need to allow that as well. And that the Holy Spirit will do work even if we're very blunt or very truthful. We can trust the Holy Spirit will do the work. Even if we mess it up with our own words, we can trust the Holy Spirit will do, will do the work because we're trying to be faithful to the thing that God called us to do, which yeah. is to to share the gospel in season and out of season, right? And he he's already prepared a harvest. We can ask him to lead us to the harvest. That's much more fulfilling than going to someone that's not ready. But at the same time, like we just have to always be ready, always be ready to give an account for the hope that we have. Mm-hmm. With gentleness and respect. <laughs> um, and so if we do that and we're always ready and we always take every opportunity he gives us, his Holy Spirit is at work. We can just trust it. It also says that his word doesn't return void. We can trust that. And I don't know if we do. But we don't, yeah. right? And I think like that that is the thing, like you saying, like we just have to be ready at any point to give a reason, to say, to, to like... <sighs> To just say, if someone asks us about something, oh, this is what I believe. I think you should believe it too. Like, <laughs> I, I think, oh man, that that's obviously the wrong way to like the like my gut reaction there is yeah. it's obviously not really the right way to go about it. <laughs> like, because I know, because I've been in a situation where I've talked to someone and I've sort of like said something and they and- walked away. <laughs> they didn't walk away or um but either way it's like you know i technically could say something here but i know that that will shut things down yeah like that is always the Which feeling is what jesus did and it shut things down yeah like yeah. look at this in mark 10 he says children how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of god it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of god this is jesus And they were exceedingly astonished, as would I be if I'd heard Jesus say that at the time without having read it previously. Um, And they said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you, because this is the story of the returning ruler. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And that's not what we want the outcome to be, I think. That's the problem, is we don't want to receive just eternal life, because that's so untangible, right? Yeah, we definitely want to feel, to, um, we don't want any loss in relationship now. Yeah. I think any sense, any loss in relationship now is seen as a failure, which is exactly the message I got when I was pulled into the youth pastor's office. Yeah. We lost a relationship opportunity. Mm-hmm. That is your fault. That person is going to hell. (laughs) Or I, but I don't know. But but it's like, I mean, in the grand scheme of the kind of costs that Christians have had to dole out to to share the gospel and to be faithful followers, that was minuscule. Mm -hmm. But it shows, I think, where our how tolerant we are to feeling the cost of preaching the gospel. Mm -hmm. And I am not tolerant. I am like, I am like, oh, Mm -hmm. something went wrong. She looked a little upset. That was on me. Yeah. And the idea that actually there's an offense to the gospel, 
doesn't yeah. even really enter into that it might it turn me, people away that it might turn mm-hmm. people away that yeah. some people do not have ears to hear mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. or or the fact that there are none that seek god mm-hmm. like, i think we have this idea that people like i really even christians think i think people are generally good they want to do what's right they and have they have a want- god-shaped hole yes <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> and they want to love god yeah. actually I think most of us really don't. Yeah. I even think most Christians, I know that we love him and our heart's been transformed, but there's a lot of flesh still attached that really hates God. That's at war. Doing, That's at like, war. Like you keep doing the things you don't want to yes. do, like Paul says. Otherwise, yeah. we would all love the gospel. Yeah. And we would trust that it is the power yeah. for salvation. You know, yeah. like we would, we would have a lot more faith that it can save. Yeah. Without being dressed up. Yeah. Without being, you know, softened and and without having to cajole people into that kind of, oh, first relationship. We first have to be in a relationship for you to hear the gospel because otherwise you won't like it. (laughs) You won't want it. But that's not true. Like we see evidences that when people's hearts are are softened when there's humility there, like we see so many times in the Bible, but also I'm sure in our own lives, that when people are um, aware of their need for a savior, the gospel is life. Yes. And they want it. Yeah, I'm regularly surprised with the type of people who are actually prepared to enter conversations about religion or Christianity Mm -hmm. because they're always more screwed up. (laughs) I mean, we're all, but they seem like the roughed up ones. Mm -hmm. I'm always like, no, this person, like I've had friends who are really good. They're interested in morals. They, you know, they are interested in social justice. And you're like, wow, you, you seem to love what is good. Those people have zero interest really Mm -hmm. in talking about my faith. Like it's it's more just an an interesting intellectual exercise. Yeah. The people who like know and I've I've really botched things. Mm-hmm. No, I know I, I can be a pretty terrible person. Yeah. And who usually are the most off putting. That's been the times where I'm like, wow, you are surprisingly open mm-hmm. to hearing about this. And I think we're and, and and all of those situations have happened without my work. And I think which isn't to say relationship was never involved, but I think I think we need to really, really believe that the gospel saves, yeah. that we, we don't. We see Jesus preaching the gospel, like telling the good news to people about himself, <laughs> that he's there to save them um, or, or to remove sin from their lives or to heal them. Like he tells so many different people in so many different ways, but usually it's with the religious. He's pretty tough. Mm-hmm. In fact, kicking them out of the temple, calling them brood of vipers, like those kind of things. And then with with the woman at the well or the woman caught in adultery or with Mary Magdalene or, you know, all of these different people, lots of women, especially he's very kind to women, but, but even with tax collectors and those kind of things, you see him being so gentle, but firm. And he's, he's like, he does enter into relationship with them when nobody else will, hmm. which is pretty cool. I do wonder if we know what the religious people in our society look like. Mm. You know, like, I kind of think, like, we don't really live in a religious society anymore. So, not in our country. Not in our country. Yeah. But say, but I kind of think we could replace the word, the religious people with the morally 
<laughs> complacent or the people who feel like I am a morally good, upright, morally upright mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And so they might not call themselves Christians or maybe they would, but I actually think it, it looks a little different than we think. Yeah. You know, the hypocrisy in a given day and age is not recognized as hypocrisy in that day and age, mm-hmm. typically. Right. So, so we always look back on the stories of the Pharisees and think, weren't they so obviously bad? Like, didn't they know that they were like the bad guys in the story? Like, well, no, do you know you are? (laughs) Do I know? You know? And I think in my experience, it's been some of the nicest people, some really nice people who, who are so kind and supposedly loving who I feel are the least reachable because mm. they are very like I had a my mom I remember have uh, had a friend that would come over to her house all the time she's a lovely lady mm. she's so nice we have so many values in common and I've almost never met someone who was so incapable of being reached by mm. the gospel she was so self-complacent mm. and I know that the gospel was presented to her but I think that's the thing like there was a lot of work done in relationship there. There was a mm-hmm. lot of time spent. Yeah. And maybe we need to be, like you said, I guess praying for the harvest, praying yeah. to that have the Lord eyes leads us to the leads to the us harvest, to, to yeah. the harvest. And yeah. yeah, ultimately, I mean, I feel like I'm saying this to myself because I have so much work. I feel like I have so much rewiring in my head to do about this, so that I actually truly feel in my bones that the gospel saves people Mm -hmm. and that it is not me and my charismatic personality (laughs) that is going to rope people in much as I'd like to think that that's the case. And I think we have to know there are people that don't want to be saved. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what we do or say, they, they don't want to be. And it's so heartbreaking to know that, especially if you've really poured into their lives, but it's true. I just wish people would, would be able to grasp myself included because I do forget this a lot that this life is a blink that is just such a blink and eternity is everlasting and we shouldn't be living our lives to build a kingdom here and now like there's it's so fruitless it's so empty when it's when it's this blink you know and if we really had our eyes fixed on heaven and on on the eternal and of the things of God, the things that he cares about and, and that will last, then our priorities would be really different. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, we would preach the gospel we differently. We would preach the gospel differently. And I think if others <laughs> knew it, if we lived our lives like that and they started to see that and see that there's fruit <laughs> in that, um, I do think that they'd crave that as well for themselves. Yeah. You know, yeah. that security in an, in an everlasting, eternal God. Yeah. I think they crave it. Yeah. So I have this analogy that came to me a little while ago when we were talking about the rich young ruler with our youth group. And I was asking them, if your salvation depended on you walking away from everything, would you do it? And they were all like, oh, yeah, 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 of course. It's <laughs> like, whoa, that's a quick you answer. Good. <laughs> I don't know if I can say it that quickly. Like, can I walk away from everything? And then... I said, let's look at it another way. If your physical life depended on you walking away from things right now, as in, if you don't, I kill you, (laughs) would you give it up? And a lot more people, I think, could easily say yes. Like, if it was a matter of life and death, I'll walk away from this. Mm -hmm. But we don't 
really easily do that for eternity because that's so vague and it's so unrealistic to us. That's why I think we need, we need to grasp how real it is and how true it is and who God is and, and that that's to him the more important thing. Yeah, and I think we have to model our lives after people who seem to have grasped that truth. Mm-hmm. So the apostles really did believe, partly because they believed Jesus was coming back a lot sooner. Yeah. So much time has passed that I think we've lost that attitude. Mm-hmm. But how are they living? Oh my goodness, they were yeah. like on fire. They yeah. were totally unstoppable. And like they just did not stop preaching the gospel. <laughs> and you think that that is the idea. I mean, of course, we can go about our lives as we do that. Mm-hmm. We can still be teaching in school or doing whatever, but I still think we will approach preaching the gospel totally differently. It will not be self-conscious. It will not be dressed up. We won't hide or soften certain parts of God's demands on us when it comes to being saved, the hating our, Mm. our everyone that we love so much compared to our love for Jesus, Mm. that we would give up everything for him, that we will eat his body and (laughs) drink his blood, all these crazy things. Like we will take up our cross and we will tell people that that is beautiful and that that is our way to life. That's the only way to save it. Yeah. And yeah, I think it will be transformative if, if I can ever get get there. there. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that's what we should leave people with is this question. Like if you knew, for example, that Christ was coming back tomorrow, who would you want to tell today? And if so, why don't you do it? Because we don't know. We really don't. And the apostles, they did live like it could be tomorrow. Yeah. Like that was the expectation. We have to live as if he could come back today. We still have to do our daily lives and prepare for, for things for the future. But let's live as if it really could be that Christ comes back tomorrow. You've been listening to Fragments of Blue. Join us next week as we discuss the will of God. And if you're interested in learning more about us, you can check out our website at fragments-of-blue.com.